When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Miller Report with Suzanne Miller on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And now, here's Suzanne Miller. Welcome to the Miller Report. I'm Suzanne Miller, founder of Empire State Properties. I've only started to do this podcast about two months ago, and already we are like, it's like flying. It's doing really well. People are asking me like, why, Suzanne, like, why are you doing this? You have, you have a busy company. You own a real estate company. You have investments. I have a big social life, yet I'm taking the time to do this podcast. I'm doing it because I care. I care particularly what's going on in the country, but mostly in New York. I'm a native New Yorker. I've built a real estate company for 35 years here. I have children here. I'm invested here. And I think that I'm so tired. I'm so tired of my friends and colleagues telling me they're leaving. They're out of here. They're going to Florida. They're going to Texas. New York is done. I, I, it just breaks my heart. I want to do something. So I've carefully selected leaders, influencers, power players, professionals, and anybody that really knows and understands what's going on so they could speak out and maybe we could make a difference. Today, we have with us a well-known guy, a real estate man, somebody that I've studied. I'm very inspired by what he's accomplished. In 1988, he formed Massey Knackle. Within the 25 years, he've sold 2,000 buildings, 2,000 buildings. Bob Knackle, that has to be a record. Thank you for coming on the Miller Report. Tell Suzanne, us. Great, great to be with you today. Thanks for having me. So I understand that you got into real estate kind of by accident. You stumbled into a Caldwell banker office and you were there for different reasons. Tell us the story. Yeah, well, I, I thought Coldwell Banker was a bank and mistakenly went in. I was a freshman at the Wharton School in 1981, um, wanted to get a job on Wall Street like every other Wharton kid at the time and uh, drove around spring break freshman year looking for a summer job that would look good on the resume. Came out of a Payne Weber office, saw Coldwell Banker, went in thinking it was a bank, dropped my resume off, uh, set up an interview for the next day with them. Uh, this was again, 1981, no internet. So I went to the library to look up this bank. So it was a real estate company, almost didn't go, but they were the only ones who were hiring college kids for the summer, took the job, loved it, went back my next summer to run the market research group that I worked in the first summer. Uh, my third summer, I went back, I got my New Jersey real estate license and was an assistant to a, an industrial broker showing space to industrial tenants and then started with CB here in, in Manhattan when I got out of school in 1984. So what you're doing is a very thin market. There's not a lot of people doing it from what I've read. Why do you think that is? Well, selling buildings is is a very robust market, actually. A lot of people, there are about 5,000 brokers that uh, actively try to sell buildings in New York. So there are quite a few folks that do it. Um, but it was just the uh, the niche within the market that I felt very comfortable with. I was always good in math and uh, thought selling buildings in New York City would be really cool. So uh, came here to the Big Apple, met my, uh, my business partner, Paul Massey, my first day on the job, uh, day two on the job job, we said, hey, these these folks with a lot of experience aren't spending that much time with us. Let's work together, split everything 50-50, see how that goes. That was the start of a 30-year partnership.
Championship. Wow. So we we ran Massinacal actually for 26 years, started in 1988, sold it to Cushion and Wakefield in 2014. And uh, it's just been a great run. I still, I feel very, very fortunate that I stumbled into that CB office because I, I think real estate is the greatest job in the world. Uh, still love it as much as I did the first day I started. And uh, I feel really blessed that I, I have a, a job that is not only my job, but it's my hobby also. See, everybody loves to hear about real estate and exciting new deals. Tell us like one of like the biggest deals that you've done that we could all get excited about. Well, the thing that I, I love the most about what I do is I, I spend a lot of time selling development sites. Uh, and so when you sell a piece of land and then years later, you see a new building on that site, it's uh, really cool to see. You feel like you had a little bit of a piece of helping to create uh, a, a change in the skyline of the city. So those are transactions that uh, I always enjoy. But, uh, you know, we've sold uh, lots of land uh, sites for over $100 million. Those are always fun to work on and dealing with great people who are building those big buildings. So that's the part of the business that I enjoy the most. And we also sell a lot of multifamily apartment buildings. Uh, but, uh, you know, generally, uh, we sell all types of properties. I read recently that you wrote an article about conversions with the office. To, and we talk about this a lot on the Miller Report, but it's obviously a big thing. We're in the shortage of housing. We need it. And I'm, I'm when watching 25 Water, I also noticed that this conversions are going on more like Chicago and Canada, not necessarily in New York. Talk to us about that and what you see and what some of the exciting new conversions are. Yeah, well, Suzanne, I can talk about the New York market. I don't really know a lot about markets around the country, but I know in New York, we have an oversupply of office. And for, unfortunately, a lot of our office stock is very, very old and functionally obsolete. So we went into the pandemic with about 25 million feet of office space vacant. There's about 27 million feet of office under construction now. And if aggregate demand for office goes down by about 10%, that's another 40 or 50 million feet. So we, we're looking at potential about 100 million square feet of office space empty in this city. We desperately need housing. Uh, unfortunately, our policymakers have exacerbated problems in the housing market. Every piece of legislation that's been either implemented or ignored over the last five or six years has done nothing but exerted upward pressure on rents, uh, also created the deterioration of the housing stock. Uh, and so we desperately need housing. Conversion of, of uh, older obsolete office buildings to housing housing is a great solution for the housing market. It also would tangentially benefit the, the office sector by getting rid of the overhang of a lot of office space. And I think in order to make that work, uh, you have to have a government help. Um, we, we look at a program like the 421G tax abatement that worked so beautifully to transform downtown. Um, you know, at 9-11, we had about 1,800 housing units downtown. Today, there's about 30,000 units down there, mostly created by the 421G tax abatement program. So I've mentioned to the governor that we should implement the 421G citywide to incentivize the conversion of these properties because to convert an office building to, to residential, you essentially have to be for the older stock need to be at below $300 a square foot. Prices have not gotten to that point yet, but even if they do, we still need help in the form of a tax abatement to make that work. But ultimately that program would create uh, much needed housing. It would create jobs. At the end of the day, 
it would end up increasing tax revenue based on where taxes will go on those properties over the long term. So nothing but positive benefits, but yet doesn't seem like our policymakers can uh, can get their arms around it. Well, I agree with you. And I think that's one of the reasons that I'm doing this is to try and get people like you to speak out. Tell the average person what they can do. Yeah, well, I, I think that if you, uh, again, if you think your rent is too high and your condition of your building is not good, uh, just turn around and look at your, your local politician. Look at your local senator, your local assembly person, uh, your local council person. Uh, I mentioned that litigation or legislation has gone against the creation of new supply of housing. It's, it's almost impossible to build rental housing in the city without a tax abatement program. And, and it's not on the budget this year. It's off. Right. The, the 421A program worked beautifully to create housing. The successor program, Affordable New York, also worked well. That has expired. Uh, it's not been adopted in this session, or at least not yet in this session. It's not in the budget. That's problematic because today, when an owner of a a development site that could be suitable for a rental development comes to us and says, hey, we're thinking about selling our site. We say, don't even think about it. It has very, very little value today because there's no tax abatement program. So there's a huge air bubble in the pipeline. And without new supply, you're simply not having more choices for tenants. So rents are going up. So we we need a new 421A slash Affordable New York program. We need the 421G program to incentivize the conversion of office to residential. We need things like the the increasing the 12 FAR density cap on conversions and also to, to increase density around transportation hubs. There are a lot of things that can be done. You know, I remember very vividly the 1977 World Series and uh, the Yankees are playing the Dodgers. Reggie Jackson's hitting the three home runs and the Goodyear blimp pans out and there are six fires going on around the stadium. And Howard Cosell famously says the Bronx is burning. Well, the Bronx was burning in those days because it made more sense for some owners to burn their buildings down than to invest in them. And so we had in the the mid-70s, the dilapidation rate in New York was 14%, meaning that 14% of the housing units were uninhabitable. The city implemented the MCI program for major capital improvements to buildings. They implemented an individual apartment improvement program, which uh, incentivized the upgrading of, of apartments. And consequently, the private sector invested tens of billions of dollars into the housing stock. By 2019, the dilapidation rate had fallen to 0.04%. Quality of life for tenants was better, more choices in housing. It was a great program. And the the policy changes that were implemented in June of 2019 marginalized both of those programs. So clearly, the quality of the housing stock is now deteriorating again. And you don't have, because you don't have an incentive to renovate previously stabilized units. You have, there, there are estimates that there are anywhere from 40,000 to 80,000 previously rent stabilized units just nailed shut because it doesn't make sense to invest in them. So another thing that could be done is to reconstitute the IAI and the MCI programs. You would have tens of thousands of apartments under renovation within two weeks. Think of all the jobs that creates for folks who would do those renovations. Think of all the, the appliances that would be sold. Think of all the supplies that would be sold to renovate those apartments. Thinks about how tax revenue would increase. There is so many positive things. You can't think of one single thing that is negative about doing that other than there's a perception that if a politician does anything that's positive for a business,
business person or a real estate person, they must be doing something wrong. But the fact is the real estate industry through real estate taxes and mortgage recording taxes and transfer taxes and other fees contributes more than half of the revenue to the city budget. Which we need. Which we desperately need. And if you don't have a thriving business community and don't have a thriving real estate community, a politician, whether they're on the extreme right or the extreme left, they're going to have no money to do anything they want to do. So you you have to have those sectors doing well in order to provide the revenue to do the things you want to do as a as a policymaker. Bob, that was excellent. And I, I cannot agree with you more. And I, I have had developers on this podcast that are telling me, like one guy from China, Jerry Pai, he owns a building on a whole street on Fifth Avenue. He's like, I'm not building. I have no 421A. Why do I want to build? I'm going to hold it. And I think that seems to be the, the feeling of anybody that's holding land right now because there's no incentive. So maybe more people will listen to this and we can make some changes in our policymakers. Let's switch for a minute. New York, one of the most successful jobs that I've seen, one of the most successful projects is Hudson Yards. Do you agree? Hudson Yards is unbelievable. unbelievable. It's created a new a new center of Manhattan. Exactly. So it's got the it's an interest city. It's got retail. It's got commercial. It's got residential. Why do you think that was so successful? Well, I think it's so successful because there is a real inherent demand for new. If you think about the city, it was before the the most recent wave of new construction that went on before Hudson Yards. Uh, a new office building uh, in Manhattan was a building that was twenty or thirty years old. In most cities around the country, that's an old building already. But if you look at a lot of our our building stock, the buildings are 75, 85, 100 years old. So I think there is a real demand for new in this town. So if you look at the new condo buildings that are being built, uh, demand is really great. Look at the new condos that have been built um, west of Third Avenue on the Upper East Side. A lot of the buyers of those condos are coming out of the old co-op buildings where you can only do renovations in August and there are so many restrictions on what you can do. And folks are moving out of those older buildings into the new condo buildings. In the same way, if we look at our office sector in New York, there is the new construction class A space Mm -hmm. and then everything else. And new construction class A seems to be doing really well. I think if you built a new office building in a non-traditional office area, Avenue D, you put up a new office building, I think you'd get triple digit rents. There's so much demand for that new space. Uh, Everything else is facing challenges, but I think there is a real demand for new, whether it's residential, commercial, retail, what have you. And quality. And quality, yes. So let's switch to a minute about retail. Now, I know you you're do mostly sales, but retail is a, it's a huge thing in New York City, particularly for revenue and, and condos and co-ops. They're their tenants. How do you see that? Who's buying retail? What type, where they, where's the money coming from? Is it international? Is it American? It's hard to get mortgages. Take us through some of the retail. Yeah, the retail market is really fascinating, Suzanne. And I will tell you that that is one of the sectors that I think is a bright spot in the market today. I think uh, about five or six years ago, retail started to get clobbered. And I think a lot of uh, that was misunderstood because in du- industrial space that was converted to hybrid last mile distribution, quasi-industrial, quasi-retail, a kind of ate into some of the... The, the retail demand. Um, and that was based upon folks buying and getting um, getting same day delivery and things like that. And 
people realized they didn't have to warehouse goods and sell goods out of the same very expensive space. Um, but I think what we've seen is that retail rents have fallen from their peak um, quite substantially in some areas, but those decreases in rents have stopped. Leasing activity is picking up. And for the first time in many years, we're actually getting calls from investors saying, what retail properties do you have for sale? I almost fell out of my chair when I got that first call about three months ago. From but where? Where are they coming from? The, Which country? The, they are New Yorkers that are realizing now that there is retail is alive and well and doing great. Leasing activities picking up. And I think soon we're going to start to see some upward pressure on retail rents because there is demand for the space. But I think that when you look at a market and you realize that there's very little downside in the rents, I don't think there are many people who believe retail rents are going to go down any further. I mean, they've been going down for a while. And, and that's a relatively safe investment, especially when you can buy at a, a relatively high cap rate today. Uh, those are good risk adjusted returns for, for investors today. Tell us what type of clients, what kind of usage are they looking for? Well, a lot of the retail leases that have been made are in the, the food industry, whether it's restaurants, fast food, fast casual, you know, that seems to be a main driver. People are, are looking to open up new businesses based on the fact that rents are more affordable today. But it's really across the board. You look at the new leases that are being made. It's a wide variety of different types of users that are, are opening businesses today. And the fact that rents are more affordable is making that more feasible for a new business. Now, are you seeing the same thing going on here as the boroughs or particularly New York? Oh, well, the, the Manhattan is always a little more volatile than the outer boroughs. Outer boroughs are more stable. Uh, so when times are good, things get much better disproportionately in Manhattan. And when times are bad, they get much worse disproportionately in Manhattan. Uh, so we see more volatility in rents, more volatility in value. Uh, the boroughs very, very stable. And in fact, if you look at neighborhood retail in the outer boroughs, uh, it's it's doing very well. I mean, you drive around some areas of the Bronx and uh, middle of the day, there's four deep, five deep on the sidewalk shopping. And, uh, you know, those markets are very, very good for retail. So what do you kind of stuff are you working on now, Bob? Today, working mainly on development sites that are suitable for condo construction. Again, there's very little in the way of rental development going on because without a tax abatement program, it, there's a huge air bubble in the supply pipeline. Uh, we're also working on transactions where uh, folks are running into a refinance problem. Yes. And that's probably the biggest uh, issue facing the real estate market moving forward is that almost every refinance today is going to be a cash in refi. Overwhelmingly, investors are or have expressed that they don't want to put fresh capital in to effectuate a refi. So they're looking at their portfolio, figuring out which buildings they absolutely want to hold on to, which buildings they might want to sell. And they're increasingly deciding to sell some assets to raise the capital to be able to hold on to the assets they want to hold on to. But there, there is a lot of pent up demand to sell and people are bringing those assets to market. Fortunately, there's still an equity cushion in a lot of those buildings. So an investor is able to raise the capital to do the refi on the buildings they want to hold on to. So with all these bank issues right now, do you think people will be able to get mortgages to do this? Are they going to hold back? No, I think that there is a great opportunity in the the lending world today. Spreads are very, very high, uh, which means that that banking is a very profitable business. I'm actually surprised that new banks haven't opened because particularly if you don't have legacy issues, it's a great time to be in the banking industry with the, the spread, meaning the the amount that you charge above what you're borrowing at, very, very high. That That's a profitable business. And I think there is debt out there. We have a very, very robust mortgage brokerage practice at J. 
JLL. Uh, we're doing a ton of, of debt for people who are buying property uh, and refinancing. So there is liquidity out there. It's just a little bit more strategic today than it's been in the past. So a few weeks ago, I had a, a great guest on the show, um, Dale Schlager from Cushman. He was phenomenal. And I was asking him similar kind of questions. You guys probably are contemporaries. You work together. And his motto, it stayed with me, his stay alive till 25. So what's your thoughts about that? Yeah, no, look, uh, I think that's uh, funny. That's a takeoff on Sam Zell. I think back in the SNL crisis, he said, stay alive till 95. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, you know, we've seen a lot of these corrections over the years, started in the early 90s with the SNL crisis, then the, the recession of the early 2000s, which was an interesting recession because the volume of sales dropped four years in a row, but value went up every year during that recession, which was interesting. And then, of course, the great financial crisis, oh, 08, 09 was a, uh, a relatively tough period to go through. But, uh, you know, we're faced with a, a major reset this time around. But I think that the the differentiating factor in this correction is that the different asset classes are performing differently. Multifamily is actually doing very well. Uh, cap rates are up because lending rates are up, but there is very, very broad demand for multifamily. Uh, and because our policymakers are not incentivizing any new supply, uh, I expect free market rents in the residential sector to go up 10 or 15% this year. So again, if you're paying too much in rent, just blame your policymaker because they're not allowing for new supply, which will drive rents down. And even for, for those policymakers that don't believe that an economics textbook uh, works, look no further than the pandemic. When when folks moved out of the city, vacancy rose so sharply, residential rents went down 30% during the pandemic. So, you know, we need that new supply, but multifamily's doing well. Retail is a bright spot again. Land is, is down and the land that is selling is generally for condo construction today. Values are are down since September because lending rates on commercial uh, construction loans have uh, have increased very substantially, but it is trading. And then the office sector is really the biggest sector where there's uncertainty. And I think we still have a way to go in that market. Folks trying to figure out what they can do to make their buildings competitive. Unfortunately, in an older office building, it's very tough to change ceiling heights. You can't take columns out. So it's very difficult for an older building to compete with new construction. But folks are trying to figure out what the best path forward for their office building is. You're very knowledgeable. This is, I'm, I'm learning so much. This is fantastic, Bob. Thank you for coming on the show. We do know through history that with adversity comes opportunity. So if you were giving advice to one of your investors, what would you tell them? Where would you tell them to invest? What type of properties would you promote right now? Well, Suzanne, what I'm telling everybody and if you talk to the folks who have been investing for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years in this town, they will tell you that the best deals they ever made were at times like this. During the SNL crisis, during the recession in the early 2000s, during the great financial crisis. There's a saying that uh, when there's blood in the streets, you should be greedy. Very few people are doing that today. And in markets, it's always a constant battle between fear and greed. And fear is winning today. And I think that if you look at some of the prices per square foot, that properties are selling at. These are the same prices per square foot that properties were selling at 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Uh, it's a great time to be buying. I think if anybody buys property in New York today, I would I would think they're going to be really, really happy that they did a few years from now. These are really unprecedentedly low pricing that properties are selling for. And so I think if you buy a well-located property in Manhattan, you're certainly going to do well. Uh, I think if you buy a well-located property around 
around transportation in the outer boroughs. I think that property will do really well as long as you don't over lever. You know, one thing people don't remember is that, you know, nobody's ever been foreclosed on that didn't have a mortgage on their property. So uh, if you buy for cash or or very conservatively lever your property, you're probably going to do really well. And again, I think it's an unbelievably great time to be buying property based on where, where values are today. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm not saying this because I own a real estate company, Empire. I'm saying this because I, I, I I'm buying now. I do believe that with these rents and the mortgages, it's easier to just own. And this is that little window where people will say, hey, I should have jumped in and I agree with you. So thank you for all of your knowledge. Thank you for telling us all that you have. And I think the takeaway here is we need to have some policy changes and we all need to speak up and do our best to bring back 421A, bring back the luxury that we had and keep New York City great. Thank you so much, Bob. And thank you for coming on the Miller Report. Suzanne, it was great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Dear listeners, thank you for coming on my podcast. If you like what you're listening to, please download, subscribe, and share. Thank you so much. Bye.